All right, NFL Free Agency is uh, still very much two months away, but today in the podcast, Pass Interference, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner, the CLNS Media Network, we have the number one free agent on the board. And I don't care if your board is uh, friends, I don't care if your board is available Patriots reporters or just people in your life who make it a little bit better, happier, healthier, and uh, with a little more laughter. But Zach Cox, formerly of Nesson, Patriots beat writer since 2016, been at Nesson long before that, released the day before... Bill Belichick parted ways with the organization. A historic day in New England for the Patriots, for the entirety of the NFL and its history. And Nesson, I got to tell you, if you didn't know already, now, I found it hilarious because you obviously are, are doing okay now. Uh, been to a bachelor party, going to Miami this weekend. But how far did your shoulders drop from, okay, I need to write 10 stories, and then we've got to do 10 more when Gerard gets hired on Friday. Oh, and Gerard also speaks on Wednesday as the Patriots' new head coach to, yeah, I get to just kind of watch from afar and have a beer, and I don't care what time it is. <laughs> yeah, it's been a uh, different experience. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, obviously, as a reporter, as somebody who's covered this team for as long as I have, you want to be you want to be there, you want to be writing, you want to be talking to people, you want to be doing whatever. But it... I can't say that it wasn't a little bit relaxing to be to wake up kind of Thursday morning to the Bill News and to wake up Friday morning or no, it was Wednesday morning for the Bill News and then I, I can't remember the the days are all the days are all blending together. One day it was the Bill News, the next day it was the Gerard News. To wake up and say, man, I can't wait to see what other people write about this. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hang out and kind of uh, watch the the press conferences from home and, and and do what I do from here. So yeah, been a been a different experience being kind of a an insider outsider uh, for this last, whatever, two weeks or so. Um, but yeah, it's definitely uh, exciting times in, in Patriots world. And uh, I do appreciate you having me on, even though I am uh, currently a free agent. No, man, look, we, we talked, uh, I texted you, you are excellent, incredibly thorough, detailed, maybe uncomfortable with me saying this again. Um, but that's just because you're well, a great guy. And like I said, genuinely, made my life better, make me better at what I do. And I'm always having to talk Patriots with you because it's a different perspective. And if folks aren't following, uh, they should be because you're still providing Patriots content uh, on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and wherever else you are. So this is going to be fun. We are talking about Gerard Mayo today because he was introduced yesterday as a 15th head coach in Patriots history. It was about a half hour press conference. He did take questions and Robert Kraft did as well. I would say it was, you know, fine. Capital F, fine. And I wrote yesterday that, look, winning the press conference is not a thing. It's a stupid yeah. phrase, meaningless, empty. Uh, but just your just initial, I don't know, vibe check. What were your impressions listening to Rod, aside from the fact that it's a little jarring, we have a new head coach of the New England Patriots. How do you think it went? Uh, I think it went fine. I, I agree with you there with, with that assessment. If you're looking for kind of actual concrete answers of what the Patriots – organizational structure is going to look like, what the offense is going to look like, what his coaching staff are, is going to look like. You didn't get any of those. Uh, I would have been surprised if you really did get anything like that. Uh, it This was a move that was made about, I don't know, four days earlier. It's still very early in the process, even though uh, it would behoove them to figure out the answers to those questions very soon. But I think the overall vibe of this press conference was Gerard Mayo saying, kind of paying respect to Bill Belichick, like lauding him for how much he learned from Belichick, how great of a coach Belichick obviously is, but quickly saying, I am not going to be Bill Belichick. And not just, I'm not going to be Bill Belichick, but this organization is going to be structured and going to operate differently than it did when Bill Belichick was here. It, it doesn't seem like Mayo is planning on being beholden to any of the Belichick kind of the tenets of, of, of the way Bill Belichick ran the Patriots for so long, whether that's kind of absolute power concentrated in one person, the way that he treated players, the, the way that he kind of treated his staff uh, in terms of like the titles and, and all of that. Uh, it was a, it was him kind of drawing a line saying, Hey, I appreciate Bill. I learned a ton from him. I'm going to use what I learned from him, but I am going to operate things very differently than Bill did. Yeah, it was funny. So there were a few players who attended, and this is because everyone takes off in January. No one wants to stay yep. in Foxborough, Massachusetts any longer than they have to, let alone after beating up their bodies for six months playing the sport of American football. But the guys who stuck around, uh, one of whom flew up from Atlanta with his own plane, which is Jonathan Jones, 
Juwan Bentley was there, Josh Uche, Mac Jones, Joe Cardona, bunch of the front office stood in the back and watched this. I got to catch up with Juwan and Jonathan, even after we asked some official questions. And their response was like, hey, man, all the things he just said, he's been saying to us in meetings for years. You get to know Gerard as we've known Gerard. Like, this is who he is. And I felt that way even before approaching them. Granted, I didn't know what he says in meetings. Of course I don't. But the sense of he is incredibly secure. He is his own man. I don't know where this goes. I think he's a good coach, but he will do this the Gerard Mayo way. This is no longer the Patriot way. This is no longer Bill Belichick's team. This is a new team. It will be Gerard Mayo's, and he's figuring it out. The other part, as you said, uh, no concrete answers, which, you know, he he split with Bill in a variety of ways, um, which honestly, let's start there, because you, you describe it as a paying of respects, and there was definitely respect, healthy respect for Bill Belichick. But the way in which he broke with Bill gave voice to it, volunteered in ways, this is going to be different, was really interesting to me because it spoke to everything I just said. He's secure, comfortable, and has a different plan. Yeah, and some of the things, obviously the most notable one was the the title. Somebody asked him if he's going to be hiring an official offensive coordinator, official defensive coordinator, and he said, yeah, titles are important. I think he even said, like, no disrespect to Bill or something like that right after. It was clear that that's basically the polar opposite of what Bill Belichick of his kind of strategy. His is just, hey, everybody is a coach here. We don't have hierarchies. We don't have titles. And Mayo was like, well, yeah, you you kind of need that sometimes in terms of guys' own advancement and, and, and whatnot. But even some of the more subtle ways where, where he was talking about how, what he wants to change in the organization, saying he doesn't like echo chambers. He wants to have people around him that will question him and question his ideas uh, I think his one of his exact quotes was, I need to rebuild some relationships, knock down silos, and collaborate. And the kind of subtext of all of those is, we weren't doing that last year, or we weren't doing that well enough in the past, and that's something that needs to change now. So it, it does seem pretty clear that he's identified some aspects of the, the, the Belichick way, whatever you want to call it, that that just don't really work anymore in the the modern NFL or just aren't going to work with the way that he wants to run the team. Uh, and again, even though there aren't, there haven't been concrete answers on a lot of important questions here, it does seem like his, his organizational vision is pretty, pretty well established at this point. No question. And you, you nailed it. And it's funny that the three things he cited there, you know, uh, removing silos, breaking down walls and making things, rebuilding relationships, He volunteered that at the end of what had been his worst answer as far as the least insightful, right? He's asked about the offense. He talks Mm -hmm. about energy, leadership, and then just goes to the weight room for some weird detour and then comes back around to say, actually, these are my specific focuses because that shows what his priorities are. And it's like the old phrase, you know, show me your, um, you know, last, you know, bank statement and that'll show me your priorities for Gerard Mayo. What you do next shows what's most important to you because that's what you start with when you're rebuilding a place and you're a leader. And so for him, more communication, more collaboration, better relationships, that is absolutely right that what he was saying without saying it is those have not been good enough. Those rotted under Belichick's watch. And the Patriots could survive it because Belichick is a genius and the greatest coach of all time. Gerard is aware that at 37 is the youngest coach in the league. He is not. And so he's going to lean on an official offensive coordinator, it sounds like. They're going to hire and name a defensive coordinator for the first time since 2017 and then a special teams coordinator. Um, now, I say that to also loop back to how we're going to do things here. We've started on Bill. We're going to have two takeaways from this dry mail press conference, and we're going to hit pause. And we're going to go in the time machine for one of Zach Cox's two favorite stories from his time covering the Patriots, because Lord knows there are a ton of them. And Tony Soprano once said, uh, remember when is the lowest form of conversation. Today, I disagree because, folks, you would love to hear the stories, one of which from Buffalo in 2018, the night the Red Sox won the World Series. And for those of us who were there um, in Buffalo for a Monday night game the next night, that was maybe the third best thing that happened. Can't share that one here on the podcast, uh, but we will have other stories Two more takeaways and get out of here with Zach. Yeah, there are a couple of ones that aren't uh, aren't fit for, for public um, – public announcement but yeah we, we'll, we'll get some good ones yeah so anything else here as far as bill i mean the you know without even the the football stuff just his his energy like his first public comments as a head coach yesterday were two things that bill would never do one of which is interrupt robert after he stumbled over the name of one of Gerard's brothers and says 
it's okay. That's a black name. I'll help you with that. <laughs> he refers to Robert about a dozen times as Thunder, short for Thunder. Can you imagine anyone just casually referring? Like Bill is from the old school deferential. He's the old white owner. We're going to call him Mr. Then last name. Draws just like, sup, Thunder. Yeah, this is Thunder. My boy, Thunder. Have I said the name Thunder yet? And goes on and on and on. Just, just to wrap up the bill, you know, pulling from what he learned, but also saying, I'm not that guy. Yeah, it's very clear that he's going to operate himself pretty differently and compose himself pretty differently publicly, too. I mean, that was obvious, as you mentioned, from the first 30 seconds of his news conference. And I think it's been obvious for any of us that have covered him for the last four or five years as an assistant coach, the way he handles the media, the way he he kind of presents himself publicly is very different from Bill Belichick. Uh, and it doesn't appear that that's going to change um, now that he's head coach. If anything, I think he might even become more kind of let his personality out even more now that he is head coach, at least based on this uh, this opening press conference. He also just felt comfortable or he seemed comfortable. Uh, it didn't, obviously this is an enormously pressure packed job that he's stepping into. You're the guy that's replacing the best head coach in NFL history and a guy who has never done the job that you're currently stepping into. But I mean, at least, at least with how he presented himself publicly, he seems it doesn't seem like the moment is kind of daunting for him. He's not kind of coming in, walking on eggshells saying, oh man, I hope I do this right and I hope I don't mess this up here. It's, it seems like he's kind of going in and saying, hey, I know what I'm doing. Let's go. Yeah. And look, I, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. His inexperience as a coach is worrisome. It's the number one reason yeah. you would doubt that this is going to work. Then you look and go, okay, well, what did he do when he was coaching? He was coaching defense. Patriots had the number one ranked defense by EPA per play since he joined as an assistant and basically took over the defense in the coming years. Like he, Steve Belichick called it, but Gerard was the one commanding the rooms in all those defensive meetings. Bill eventually left the two of them to do it on their own because he was working with the offensive line, the whole offense the last couple of years. And so those results speak for themselves. Number one over a five-year span. But you also get the sense of, you know, if you're still worried about the inexperience, you you felt how he can walk into a room, command it, look you in the eye, sit next to you. Like, he's going up and dapping everyone. And there was nothing awkward about this. Like, he didn't try to win the press conference and yet came very close to it anyway just by being who he was and how honest he was, most notably, too, cutting against Robert Kraft when race came up, which is not a big topic we have listed here, but I think it's notable because Robert uses the old tired line of, oh, I'm colorblind, I don't really care. And I think it's good that Robert, you know, just tries to judge his candidates based on their merit. But Mayo instantly goes, well, I see color because if you don't, you don't see racism. And saying that next to your boss on a day that's about celebration to make clear something that's very important to you, to the world, I thought was striking. And again, speaks to he's his own man. He's going to be honest with you and straightforward, even maybe at the expense of the guy who just hired him. Yeah, that definitely speaks to the confidence as well. Uh, you're you're going into your kind of introductory press conference and your first head coaching job, and you're willing to, I mean, correct. Not the correct isn't the right word, but you're willing to directly go against something that your boss just said. He could have said, "Yeah, you know, like I just," uh, like he could have essentially just went along with whatever. Uh, Robert Kraft's kind of narrative was with that, but he was willing to say, yeah, no, I actually see it <laughs> completely differently. Uh, respectfully to, to how you th see it, I see it this way. Uh, again, it, it all speaks to uh, the kind of the confidence that he's exuding and the fact that, that yeah, he, he does not seem intimidated by this role. Doesn't mean that he's going to do well in this role. That's still to be determined, but he definitely seems like he has the, uh, the, the kind of confidence necessary for it. So it's sad to say, but we all knew this was coming. The Patriots season is over. Then again, the NFL playoffs are here, and you can still win on your own at America's number one sports book, FanDuel. FanDuel right now is offering new customers $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's $150 waiting, wanting for you at FanDuel. All in bonus bets, win or lose. The FanDuel app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Believe it, I've used it. Celtics games all the time. 
You can also find new bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and lots, lots more money line, point spread, you name it. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccp.org slash chat in Connecticut and Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas in Louisiana, that's 1-877-770-STOP. Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or call 1-800-522-4700. In Wyoming, hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Okay, let's talk about the offense and then get to the first story. Uh, his answer to me, uh, I think I had the second, third question, just saying, look, you've reportedly set up interviews for defensive coordinator, for special teams coordinator. Do you intend to do that on offense? And if so, what traits do you value? Obviously, he comes in prepared. Thanks to Stacey James and his staff with PR. They'll talk about this with Robert. And his answer, most likely prepackaged, was everything is under evaluation. I'm not saying that was a dishonest answer. But it's also the same thing you would say if you were trying to say words without really saying anything, right? Like everything's on the table. And I think this was a smart answer. We'll get to that in a second. What did you make, though, of kind of stepping back? And as I alluded to earlier, when he's asked about his vision for the offense, he goes into the weight room. Like just the general no comment on how they want to play, who they want to hire, and what this is going to look like. Because the offense is what broke the Bill Belichick era at the very end. Well, it's probably what's going to make or break the Gerard Mayo era as well. I mean, they they need to nail this offensive co- coordinator hiring. They need to do a better job of putting together uh, a stronger roster on, on the offensive side of the ball. Those are that's non-negotiables, really. The defense can be great again, but if the offense continues to look the way it has for the last two years, he's not going to have success, and he's probably not going to last very long in this job. So, I, this is the absolute number one priority for Gerard Mayo going into this season. Uh, He needs to find and decide who the right person is to lead that side of the ball. Uh, Because obviously Gerard Mayo is a defensive guy. That's his area of expertise. Pause here. Who who would you hire? Just just for quick. I I don't hate the idea of keeping Bill O'Brien. I don't. What do you love though, Zach? Come on now. You're a free agent. (laughs) You can speak your mind freely. Give me a name. Well, I mean, it would be fun to get, to bring in somebody who kind of gives this offense a, a fresh coat of paint, so to speak, and, and sort of brings it more in line with what some of the the better teams in the NFL are doing nowadays. Uh, I think you can still have success with the kind of Belichick-era offense, but it is, I would say, probably lagging behind some of the more in, innovative offenses in the NFL, and there are uh, a decent number of of assistance from those coaching trees that will be available. It's all going to depend on how, I guess, how bold Gerard Mayo wants to be with this. Does he want to go? Give me a name. And it can't be Ben Johnson because he's the solution to everyone's problem. I made the joke too many times in this podcast. That guy's getting a head coaching job or he's going to get another raise in Detroit and become a hundred million dollar man. Like, do you, is, is there anyone or maybe just a tree or like Shane Waldron's a guy that everyone's going to become familiar with. Oh, he was in McVeigh, And then he goes to Seattle and, you know, of that ilk, or do you want to split and do something different or college? Like any, you're in charge of the now. I think it makes sense to get somebody from that, that Shanahan McVeigh type tree, because I think you need to change more than the Patriots have changed so far around Bill Belichick. Obviously removing Bill Belichick is the biggest change that you can make, but so far, essentially everything else is status quo. Uh, I think, again, if you put the right pieces in place 
around Bill O'Brien and let him build out his own staff. I do think the Patriots can have success offensively. Uh, I know a lot of us were optimistic about that last offseason. Still think that that's not kind of a lost cause. But this being a, a new era, I think it would make sense and certainly be a lot more fun to kind of move in a uh, a drastic different direction and say, hey, we are going to do this. We're going to commit to this. It's not going to be a, a half measure type thing like it was with Patricia uh, and those kind of new run run blocking schemes that came in a couple of years ago. Just say, hey, we're shifting away from this and we're going to, to kind of what's really working around the NFL. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, and I appreciate you standing in against the heat for something I did not prepare for or mention, <laughs> but it's, it's, but also what, what, yeah, qu- quickly, one more note on, on the offense, yeah. not related to the offensive coordinator. You met, you mentioned Mayo's answer to what he wants to change about the offense. Didn't really give any specifics, mentioned the weight room, kind of talked around in circles. It did stand out to me though, that he said, we need leaders on that side of the ball to emerge this off season. And some of that is coach speak, like, yeah, obviously you want leaders, but it goes back to, it's, it's similar to, to the Belichick comments we were talking, or the philosophy comments we were talking about earlier. When you say you need those things now, it infers that you did not have those things in the past. And I mean, Mac Jones was in the room for all of this. Uh, I'm curious how he took some of these, uh, some of these comments, basically saying, yeah, we need people on, on the offense to take ownership, to step up, to lead. I mean, Mac Jones was an offensive captain. It, it pretty clearly states that Mayo was not super pleased with the way that that he handled himself in that area. Uh, and I mean, overall, if you look up and down the roster, it's hard to point to any kind of offensive leader that really carried the flag as a leader other than David Andrews, who's going to be, what, 32 when this season begins. So you need to replenish that behind him. And that was probably the most notable offense-related comment that, that I heard from this. It's it's a great point. Um, the other thing I would add is he said, we don't want people who point fingers, which again yep. was complain. We don't want people complaining. Don't want, yeah. That he volunteered. And that's such an important distinction from the first thing that you said, which is, again, probably part of a lot of planned answers that he went over with PR. They have a very good PR staff with the Patriots. So what does he say at the end? When you're done with this prepared statement, these ready answers, these thoughts that have been top of mind written down in his notes, and granted, Drudd can handle himself. I'm not saying this was all the work of Stacey James and company, but when you get going on your own and we get closer to organic thought, what comes out at the end, that's what came out. No pointing fingers, leadership, as you mentioned, which clearly he saw as an absence. And as I've written and reported and done so with Doug Hyde, like there are a lot of people who turned on Mac and that happened early. There were a lot of dysfunction within the offense and it went above them and more of the coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. But um, obviously, Gerard Mayo had a front row seat to all of that and, and sees it as an issue that needs fixing. One last thing I want to mention on this, because I, I think there's a lot of angst. We do angst very well here in New England um, around the big football team. And it's because of the lack of vision or anything concrete that you can leave that press conference and hold on to and say, okay, this is the list of Shanahan candidates. This is what he wants to be about. Or we're going to be ground and pound or some sort of identity, a plan. What I would say is just hold on. Let go of the angst and just wait. Gerard Mayo is going to hire a coaching staff, okay? The Patriots are one of eight teams that changed head coaches this offseason. They are the only one, as of January 18th, to have a head coach in place. What he is doing is waiting on his assistants currently on staff to come back from vacation and then knows as soon as Bill Belichick likely lands in Atlanta, we should mention he had a second interview scheduled or will soon, according to the interact report. <clears throat> Gerard Mayo is going to be fishing in the same candidate pool that Belichick will be. And Belichick is going to be standing there with a fishing pole that casts a lot further than Gerard Mayo's. So what he needs to do is just build out as many options as possible, whether it's Bill O'Brien or it's Josh McDaniels or Shane Waldron or anybody else, and not commit to anything publicly because then that tips off Belichick what he wants. And if Bill wants the same thing, that gives him a head start or an ability to maybe raise a little bit more money for the coaching staff. So when Gerard does not offer specifics about the scheme or the coaching or anything beyond, oh, the weight room and leadership, like that's okay. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. It means he doesn't want to share it knowing Bill, who for years has studied opposing coaches' press conferences for clues ahead of games, is going to be watching him. And he does not want to give Bill or anybody else a head start. He's got a plan. He's not telling you that's okay. Fair Agreed. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yes. Last thing. All right, story time. 
we talked about the offense. We talked about uh, splitting for Bill. We're going to get to Kraft in the front office a little bit later, but let's go back in time. Where are we going? This was difficult. You gave this to me last night, and I'm, I, I covered the team for, for eight years. I was traveling for probably like five and a half, six of those. Didn't travel in 2020 with COVID. Didn't travel 2021. Only did kind of limited in 2015 or 2016 and 17. But so it was a lot of a lot of stories to to pick through. Uh, one that that stood out in my mind um, was a recent one. Uh, this past season, we were able to go to Germany to cover the Patriots, which was very fun, uh, a very enjoyable experience. Uh, it was it was great to to kind of experience what football is like over there. Uh, but the night before that game. Um, I somehow spent $170 on a on tickets to a hockey game that didn't exist. <laughs> um, so we were so we're in Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Germany for the Patriots game. I'm walking around the the Frankfurt Mall, the the downtown Frankfurt Mall. I think this is like Saturday afternoon. We're all jet lagged. Nobody really even knows what time it is. I'm walking around and I see a poster for Lewin Frankfurt, which is the the Frankfurt Lions. It's their professional hockey team. I look them up and I say. Yeah, this this looks kind of fun. This is like I've heard about about European hockey leagues that uh, I know the the one in in the UK is a lot of fun. I was like, ah, oh, this this could be sweet. And I was looking somehow I wasn't used to the uh, the the date flip in in Europe where they put the day before the month. So I look. I'm saying, oh, this is no, November 11th. That's tonight. We should go to this game. Tickets are like 30 bucks. This will be sweet. I'll text all the guys. Uh, everybody's in. There's nothing really happening otherwise. So. Uh, we're like, cool. It's, it's me, Dakota Randall from Nesson, you and Doug, the Mass Live guys. Your dad, I think, dad, was there. Yep. Uh, so we should take like a, a 25 minute Uber out to this uh, ice rink that's kind of on the outskirts of Frankfurt. Uh, we're all excited that there's it's packed. There's a ton of like kids around. I'm like, man, this is I don't this might, must must be like a like a school trip night or something. I don't know. It'll be fun. We walk up, we get to like the the it's like a floor to ceiling windows along the side of the rink. We get in. And it's just like children skating around the rink with their parents. I'm like, this doesn't look right. I, 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 the game's supposed to start in like five minutes. This is weird. Is this like pregame stuff? I look in the uh, the game is actually scheduled for the following Friday or the following Saturday. So we uh, completely whiffed on that. Uh, that was people were very unhappy with me dragging them halfway across a, a European city to go to a hockey game that did not exist. Uh, we made the most of it. Uh, shout out Four Corners Pub in uh, in Frankfurt. They they treated us very well down there. But yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the jet lag brain is real because I I, I was completely uh, unaware that <laughs> this game was a week later than it actually was. I appreciate you taking the opportunity for this first story to just dunk all over yourself <laughs> like slow motion. <laughs> like all it. the stories. <laughs> oh, but it was the first one that came to mind, and I was like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and we had spent, you know, you, you had a much more fun night the night before. So we flew in uh, Thursday. Uh, no, excuse me. Friday morning in a red eye. We recorded this podcast on, yes. on no sleep uh, with me, me, you and Doug. Yeah. yeah on a couch in the uh, hotel room that I had with my dad that who came out, which was which was great to share with him. An incredible environment, all that stuff. Uh, I probably wouldn't advise listening to that podcast. We were all uh, very scattershot mentally, but. You know, Bill has his press conference that day. They bring out eight players. We go to practice. It's at the National German Soccer Team's facility. It's sparkling. It's beautiful. It's state-of-the-art. Then we go back, and we spend like three hours that night meandering, just trying to find a place to grab a beer and dinner, which you would think is is easy in a giant city uh, such as Frankfurt, which is very Americanized. Like, it's, Shockingly it's, difficult. Yeah, highly yeah. difficult. Stood out. Uh, anyway, Um I think now I'm dunking on myself. Yes, yeah, so the Patriots beat consists of a giant bunch of giant losers, but you listen to us, so what does that make you? Um, anyway. Also, the game itself that weekend, obviously not a uh, the, the finest display of football on the field, especially from the Patriots quarterbacks, but if you do have a chance to go to a – I mean, I don't know how they are in, in London, in England, but if you have a chance to go to a German NFL game, I would highly yes. recommend it. The atmosphere there was – incredible uh you would never would have thought that this game was what did it finish 10 to 6 10 to 7 uh it was you would have thought that this was a like highly exciting super bowl not one of the worst games of the nfl season the the crowd over there was 
insane. The atmosphere was awesome. So yeah, if you ever get a chance to go over there, I would I would definitely recommend it. Best crowd I've ever uh, experienced. Um, the last thing I'll say is this: I was honestly glad that the game did not exist because dragging my um, now in his early sixties father around for we walked ten miles. It was great. We went to breweries. We walked into Old District. We watched across the river. All these different bridges. But at like four or five o'clock, and he's up for it. Credit to him, powering through, ready to go to this hockey game. It's a 20 minute drive. Everyone's already there. It's like, you know, 40, 35 bucks or whatever. So I look at the schedule and go, this is weird. Maybe Zach knows there's a game that I don't know about. It wasn't there. Then you text. I've already Venmoed you for both of this. And then, um, or no, I hadn't Venmoed. I Venmoed, what happened? Either way, I, I think I. I think you felt bad for me and Venmoed me after the fact. I Venmoed you after the fact, but I, I came one penny short, which I called a convenient inconvenience tax, uh, a la all of the ridiculous taxes right. that you pay for everything else, and they just tack on six bucks because they can. I withheld one penny for said inconvenience, which worked out because we had a lovely dinner and got to hang out and found our beers and food at the same time. Um, all right. Now I kind of want to bat around some Super Bowl stories at the end of this, but let's 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 wrap up with Gerard. Um, the... Apparent, underscore apparent, lack of plan when it comes to the front office, which the thinking right now, according to Robert Kraft, is just to stay internal, find out what they have, and interview external candidates in their future. That might mean around the combine. It might mean after the draft. But what that tells me is that the Krafts look at the front office and all of the poor drafting and for agent signings, we don't have to dive into those, we're on bill. And as far as a leadership or hierarchy goes, it was Bill's final call. It was his say. And so they're pinning everything on on him. So there is a newness here to the front office, right? But I don't think as much change as folks want, and I get it. Um, The timing, though, was suspect because obviously this is a huge draft. What did you make from them saying, oh, it's not the status quo, but we don't really know what's going to come next, so it might be the status quo. Yeah, the fact that... Robert Kraft, according to to his comments here, they don't really know what they have in terms of a front office right now. I think his exact quote was, "We want to st- we want to understand what we have internally uh, before they go out and interview external candidates." On one hand, that makes sense because, as you mentioned, Bill Belichick was the one kind of with the final say over everything for so long. So, no matter how much work. Matt Groh or, or Elliot Wolf or any of these guys did uh, on a certain free agent or, or draft prospect or whatnot. It ulti- ultimately was Bill's call in the end. Uh, so maybe now you're seeing what these guys' decisions would be if they had the final call. It's incredibly risky. I think this whole thing is incredibly risky. Uh, you're basically removing Bill Belichick and saying everything else is pretty good. We like everything we have internally, except for this coach. We'll take him out, and now everything's going to be great. It's, I don't know. It, it, they wouldn't be the first team to go through a coaching change, go through a draft, and then install a new general manager. I believe Buffalo did it six or seven years ago with uh, with Doug Whaley and, and Brandon Bean. But and you can see the the logic in that. You're saying, well, these guys have been doing work on this draft for this team for months and months and months. If we bring in somebody new, they're going to have to basically do a crash course in two, three months and then make what is probably the most important Patriots draft pick in at least 30 years, at least since since Drew Bledsoe. Yep. And it's it's a gamble. It's a gamble not interviewing other head coaching candidates before you hire uh, Gerard Mayo. It's a gamble saying, hey, Bill's lieutenants, I like them enough to keep them around or I like them enough to at least give them a shot here. I don't, I'm don't. i curious what the timeline is with all of this. Is, is it, hey, we've got to interview these guys kind of internally. If we like what we hear, we're going to keep them. If we don't like what we hear, we're going to bring somebody in and somebody else. Or is it, hey, we're going to go through this draft and this free agency period, then we'll reassess and then we might bring, bring in somebody else. It's... It's again, it's a gamble, and you're in a spot where, as the Patriots, where you really can't screw up this offseason. If you screw up this draft, if you screw up this free agency period, it's going to set the franchise back several years. I mean, ideally, you're not going to be picking at number three overall, number three overall, excuse me, for another 10, 15 years. But if you screw up that pick, then you might be one of those teams that ends up in the top five every year. So it's a massively important draft, and it's, I would say it, 
it raises the level of concern that Robert Kraft is still kind of evaluating this. If he came in and said, hey, I know things haven't gone well, but I really have strong faith in Macro and Elliot Wolf. They're the right people to lead this. We're going to be lead, we're going to be rolling with them. I feel like you might it would have given off a little bit of a different message than him saying what he did, which was basically like, yeah, we don't we're not totally sold on these guys yet. We're going to give them a chance. We're going to see how it goes. Then we might take a look at some other guys. I, I don't know. We're still working through that. That that is a little bit worrisome uh, if you're a Patriots fan. I think. It is. I think you frame that correctly in that, you know, Drive Mayo is a gamble. And I wrote last week that I think it's a worthy gamble. He fits a profile of a coach that could modernize, update the organization, connect with players, just be the kind of coach you want in 2024. Because it's not about offense or defense. How do you organize? How do you motivate? What's your long-term vision? How are you day-to-day? How consistent are you? What are your priorities? The Patriots are not going to uproot their foundation. As Gerard said, I'm going to build on the foundation that Belichick left me. And I think that's smart. You can still win in the National Football League. And you know I'm serious because I didn't say NFL. I said National Football League. (laughs) Smart, tough, dependable players. Like, that's the formula, man. And it works. See the trophy case. But how do you get to find those players? How do you treat them? How do you coach them? What tools do you give them as far as the the weight room and the sports science and some of the analytics that they've just just looked away from. We're seeing it just said, I don't care. So on the front office side, it is a gamble. I think it's a bad one. And I know this to be true. I, I'll, I'll say it like this. I've heard this. This is not like me saying the Patriots have approached Kendrick Bourne about extension. That's happy. Aggregate it. Go run with it. The Kraft spoke with Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh, as far as I understand, during the season. Multiple meetings. And that makes sense. Matt Groves ahead of the personnel department. Elliot Wolf got a lot of insight working in Green Bay and Cleveland. So to me, they should know what they have. And if yeah. you don't know what you have, well, then how are you making a call on Gerard Mayo? He's only been coaching five years. Matt Groves has been around a lot longer than that. Elliot Wolf just finished his third season in New England. How do you not know either of them when you've met with them this year? And one of them has been around longer than your new head coach has. Granted, of course, they knew him as a player, yada, yada. It just, it's not consistent. And I think Gerard's track record, I mentioned the defense, it's ranking, you hear from players. That's good enough for me to say, go ahead, hire him. Right now to stick with both of them, when I don't know how differently they would do business, and I talked about Elliot before, and he has a different philosophy and where he comes from than Belichick, but it just creates some uncertainty. And where am I reporting to? Where's this information going? The thing I would say on the flip side is, though, if you did want new blood, if you're someone on the outside, just get a new GM, hire him, pick him. The pool of candidates is going to be the same that we've all been talking about. And they're all expatriates or somewhere adjacent to the tree. Because, again, they're not uprooting the foundation. It's going to be Dave yep. Ziegler or John Robinson or Bob Quinn or maybe Mike Borgonzi from the Chiefs. I don't know. But it wouldn't be a wholesale change. And if you expected that, you're just going to be let down. Still, I think everyone is fair to feel let down because this is not a clear plan. And that's fine because they already have their staff in place like Gerard does <laughs> on the coaching side. They should be ready to go. And it doesn't seem like they are. Yeah, again, these are things that they're going to have to decide on very soon. Uh, I mean, the coaching staff, I I know Gerard said that he wants to finalize that ASAP, ideally within the next couple of weeks. And and then on the personnel side, you you need to have a plan. You need to say, uh, I mean, the draft, the pre-draft process basically starts in, I mean, it's essentially already started yet, but it really kicks off in what, two weeks, three weeks with uh, with the senior bowl. You need to know, I would say by then, at the very least, what you're doing for this year's draft and what you're doing for this year's free agency. You're not going to hire a new GM on March 1st and say, hey, handle this draft. You know, it's it's something that they, they're going to need. If, if they haven't figured out already what they want to do, they need to figure that out very soon. Because as I mentioned, they just cannot screw up this draft. Can I? Uh, one last thing, because this got a lot of traction yesterday on Twitter. Drod had a quick sit down with Steve Burton, WBZ, local legend. And Steve asked about the draft. What are you doing at number three, Gerard? He was like, we're going to take the best player at a very important position. Wink, wink. You put the pieces together. And laughed. And I think everyone's like, oh, my God, they're going to draft a quarterback. It's done. He said it. That's it. Stop. Just stop. Okay? We already established Gerard has a sense of humor. His first public comments as a head coach is to tell his owner, oh, that's a black name. I got you. I'll help you out with that. This is not an entirely serious person all the time. It's also early January. OK, 
Okay, if he doesn't have final say over the roster, he doesn't know what they're going to do. Oh, and by the way, we don't know who has final say over the roster. And when I say we, that includes Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf. So yep. the Patriots have not made firm plans. Yes, it's likely that they take the quarterback. We can all see the board. We can all see the roster. We all watched last season. Okay, they need a new quarterback. That is by no means a guarantee that that's actually what they're going to happen. And then uh, I'm I'm done on that front. What have we not covered? What what should we hit on next as far as Gerard and wrap this up and get to your last story? Uh, I, I think we got I think we got to most of it. Uh, the only other kind of notable thing that came out of it, I touched on it a little bit, was Kraft being asked why he did not go through a coaching search, why he installed Gerard Mayo as uh, the head coach without kind of evaluating some some out, outside options. Uh, and obviously this was written into Mayo's contract previously, which is why they didn't need to go through the, the Rooney rule process and all that. But he basically said he regretted not doing this with Bill Belichick after Bill Parcells left. Uh, it, it was kind of a funny answer that basically had ricochet shots at both Bill, at both Bill Parcells and Pete Carroll. Because he was basically like, yeah, the previous guy, uh, I just couldn't deal with. He was a pain in the ass. A lot of difficulty the, with. Just an incredible yeah, a lot of for Bill Parcells. Got oh. us to a Super Bowl. Kind of a real prick, though. Yeah. A lot of difficulty with. And then, yeah, the guy we hired, obviously, that didn't work out. Like It's just like, whoa, man, just shooting, shooting all over the place. Uh, but it goes back to the fact that I just mentioned before, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. It's a gamble. I mean, the the more thorough process and, and you can argue the smarter process of this whole thing would have been to say, yeah, we, we want Gerard Mayo as our next coach. We believe he can be our next coach, but we feel compelled to at least evaluate our other options, especially when somebody like make Mike Vrabel, who has such strong Patriots ties becomes available, who surely the Patriots, when they made this agreement with Mayo last year, did not expect to be available this year. And the fact that according to all reporting, they did not plan to make this move now. They plan to make this move next year at the earliest. So the fact that all of those circumstances uh, were in play and Kraft still said, no, I'm sticking with my guy. I believe it's Gerard Mayo. I'm not even going to look outside. It it speaks to his conviction about his decision. He said he, he went with his gut, all of that. And again, maybe this could work out. And I do believe that Gerard Mayo is a very, very, very capable head coach and, and I believe he will have success and he's a very good choice for the Patriots. But the fact that you just installed him without evaluating those other options, it, it just goes back to what I said. It, it's a gamble. And if it doesn't work out, you look back and say, man, you you could have gotten Mike Vrabel. You could have interviewed Jim Harbaugh. You could have at least looked outside and see what else was out there. Uh, and you just kind of gave the job to this guy. Again, I think it's going to work out. I think Gerard Mayo is going to have success, but it's it will be a very valid second guess if he does not. Yeah, uh, a few things on this. Number one is that the Crafts can never say that they picked the best candidate available. They felt they did in hiring Gerard Mayo, but because they didn't know what the candidate pool was, they made up their yeah. minds a year ago at a time when Gerard had only had four years in coaching at any level. And yes, the playing experience is valuable. And yes, he learned a couple of things working at Optum. But the job now is head coach. Coaching is the gig. It's the life. It's the lifestyle. He is only, he's basically went to, got undergrad, like went to undergrad and got his degree. And now they're like, oh yeah, you're the CEO now coming out of that after four years. Um, my understanding is also they expected maybe to win a playoff game this season, which seems bananas. And that's obviously what expedited, you know, this process. I mean, four and 13 says it all. But when your expectations weren't eight, nine, nine, and eight, were all of we were, it's much higher. And then there's that fall. I'm very curious where they see the roster now, because that will be a problem for GMs who come in or interview at whatever time and say, hey, how do you see the roster? Because I see this team. I think it stinks. I think there's all this offensive talent could be gone. And we would do better with whomever we brought in next. If the crafts don't agree, that's an issue. Now, how they act on that beyond interviews is the real question. And I want to say this because there is no reporting that Jonathan Kraft or Robin Glaze are involved in the day-to-day -day operations. And when Robert Kraft was asked this specifically about Jonathan at the press conference, you don't have to believe him. He said, we are going to be as involved as we have been for 30 years, which is to say, we're going to meet at the end of the year. If we feel like changes need to be made, we'll make them and hold them accountable. Because if I go in, and say, make this draft pick or sign that player, and it screws up, 
I can't hold my co- my coach accountable for that because it wasn't his mistake. It was mine. And so, yes, it should raise a small flag when you can hold it a baseball game. Okay, that Robin Glaze is now senior advisor to the head coach, and this is a woman who spent her entire life in business and not so much in football. But there is no evidence, there is no facts, there is no reporting that suggests Jonathan Kraft is suddenly going to be headlong into football operations. Okay, we can take a wait and see approach, and I would advise that. But people freaking out or subscribing to a certain radio show at two to six saying it's over, Jonathan took over. No, the only reason for this is that ESPN story that said he started to ask around and ask questions, as did Robert about, hey, why are we doing this? Hey, man, he's the boss. He gets to ask why. If he does call the shots, absolutely, I will tell you it's a mistake. I'm going to wait, though, until he makes a call first for criticizing them for meddling. Yeah. I think some of this speaks to also what we were talking about earlier, the the uncertainty of what the whole structure looks like. Because when we don't know what the front office is going to look like, it's very easy to draw inferences and make predictions and say, yeah, you know, I, I heard, I, I read this about Jonathan. Maybe he's now the new kind of like president of football operations or until they say, Hey, it's macro, then Elliot Wilf, then Steve Cargill, then whoever, until they release that actual kind of official announcement, people are going to speculate and go in all sorts of different directions, which is part of why I think it would behoove them to, to kind of, Make that decision quickly and, and let people know. All valid. Totally valid. Again, I, I think some of that ESPN story is to be taken with a grain of salt. It's not because I don't want to believe it or I have reporting contrary to that. But there's a difference between asking around and active meddling and making trades. Yep. Okay? Like, they have that power. And I, their track record as far as Bill went. Like, Bill got to make those calls. Again, reported on us. He wanted to stick with Matt Patricia. They said, we want to make a change. We were all asking for change last year. It was not a bad move. There were bad results. No question about it. But um, yeah, of course, I would love to have seen Jonathan yesterday. Asked him a couple of questions. Don't get me wrong. Would have been great. Would have been better. He wasn't there. That's what it was. All right. I think uh, I think we hit everything except for this last story. What do we got? Where are we going? <laughs> well, as I said earlier, it's very difficult to, uh, to narrow down. Uh, but I think Super Bowl week has to be represented in some way. And the most surreal of the Super Bowl weeks that I covered, I got to cover four, uh, three Patriots ones, and then the Chiefs Niners down in Miami. Um, The weirdest one by far was Minnesota, not just because the game that followed that was the Malcolm Butler game and one of the more uh, surreal, bizarre Super Bowls that we've had in quite a while, but the entire, that entire week essentially took place in the Mall of America, which if you have not been to is a gigantic mall. Basically picture the mall that you had in in your hometown growing up and multiply that by like five or six. It is like essentially a small city. And because it's so cold in Minnesota in February, basically everybody just didn't leave the mall for the entire week. That includes the players, includes the reporters, includes everybody who was there. Uh, Radio Row was essentially in the food court there. Uh, I remember walking around the, the mall one night seeing, I think it was Dietrich Wise and somebody else being like, what's up, guys? And they're like, we're walking around the mall. There's nothing else to do. So it, it was a weird week overall, but the right before the game, uh, so we stayed, the hotel that we were at was like essentially in the parking lot of the Mall of America. And every day we'd like bundle up, walk over to the mall, do all the, the media obligations and whatnot that you have during Super Bowl week. So we did the same thing. Uh, morning of the Super Bowl to get our, our shuttle over to the stadium. And we're standing waiting in, in the, the food court, uh, going to get some breakfast. And we look over and we see one very large man standing in the line for uh, Panda Express. And this is probably like 11 a.m. noon. And we look over, we're like, I think I, I, think I know who that guy is. We walk and it's, it's Alan Branch, <laughs> Patriots defensive tackle at the time. This is like four hours before the Super Bowl. He's waiting in line to get his, uh, his orange chicken. And we're like, so does this mean you're not playing tonight? And he's like, nope. He's just standing in line, getting some Panda Express. This was when he kind of like fell out of favor with with uh, the Patriots defense and sort of didn't really do much down the stretch. Um, but yeah, it was the very clearest uh, sign of an inactive that I've ever seen. Waiting in line to get some Panda Express three hours before the Super Bowl. Probably ate it on the bus, just hung out on the sideline, uh, asking everybody why, uh, why, why Malcolm Butler wasn't on the field. But 
don't know. For whatever reason, that that one stands out in my mind too. I want to hear some of your Super Bowl stories. So I want to hear well, what you got I, in I only your mind. Covered actually two. If you're counting the Chiefs Niners, we went down to Miami uh, and we're there yeah. for most of the week. And there's a lot of small stuff. People that you run into or get to know. Like we chatted with Jeff Garcia because some guy who worked at Nesson now works oh, yeah. in the Bay Area and brings him over and was just insistent and kind of like I gotta connect everyone. And even though it's like. Hey, Jeff Garcia, I know you don't really want to talk to me. You're not going to remember this tomorrow, nor should you. You have a lot bigger experiences in your brain to hold on to than this handshake and my name and where I work, um, which is fine. But a couple of quick hitters. Atlanta week, uh, before they played the Rams, beat them 13-3. to Thursday night, it was a certain member of the Patriots organization who said, we're going to go. It's this club. It's like 15, 20 minutes outside the city. Like, it's the best club in Atlanta. We're not generally club people, I think that's fair to say. Okay, we go. Yes, it, we get in. It's a fine club. Um, first of all, we're trying to figure out if Matthew Stafford's wife is a DJ because they have the exact name and spelling. He went to Georgia, wasn't her. Next thing is there's Stephen Jackson hanging out in a random VIP booth by himself. Oh, and it's like only seventy five percent full. So who said this was the best club in Atlanta? Oh, and then this person that we're with. Um, get so drunk, we need to use their thumb <laughs> to open their iPhone to get them back to their room and figure out how to get them home. Um, you, the following year in Miami, uh, the night before the Super Bowl, go to the Hard Rock Hotel and get to skip a few quarterbacks in line, thanks to some friends oh, yeah. of yours and Doug's. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think it was Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and it, it might have been – Baker, it was definitely Allen and Sam Darnold. They're waiting in line for this like big Super Bowl week party. And the person who was getting us in came out and said, Hey, yeah, you guys are good. And we got to just be like, sorry guys. Oh, also the one of the one of the better ones it's from that same party. It was actually about that same time. We're walking out or we're walking into the party. Malcolm Butler is walking out of the party. And this is like twenty this was the twenty nineteen season. So this is a couple years after Minnesota. But he's walking in, he like recognizes us we're talking to him for for a second and he's like man i I just saw russell in there like russell wilson we're like did you did you talk to him uh, about the play and he's like oh no 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 and he just kind of ran off it's like all right i guess that's still a sore subject for russell wilson at the time but yeah you see some crazy stuff during uh during super bowl week yeah yeah all small stuff i think we should leave it there we'll save this for another podcast uh whether it's you whether it's a few of us uh, maybe some more beers involved, like we had that uh, podcast last year in Boca, um, unofficially sponsored by, what were we drinking, High Noons? or? or I think it was High Noons, yeah, yeah. By the, out, by, out by the pool. Yeah. <laughs> Just, the road pods are always the best. Uh, speaking of the best, this has been Zach Cox, free agent. Hire him, hang out with him, uh, be better because of him. This has been awesome, man. Thank you for coming on. Yes, much appreciated.